You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hey guys, I got a question for you. At all of our locations, South OP, North OP, Olathe Online, I want you to think of your favorite teacher you ever had. Who was your favorite teacher ever? Um, in high school, mine, mine was a man named Doug Day, or D-Day, Mr. Day. He taught psychology, and he brought out, kind of put the challenge high, brought out the very best in my learning, in my psychology class. Um, so think about your favorite teacher. Um, did they ever correct you? Did your teacher ever correct you, your favorite teacher? If they did, they didn't correct you in their teaching to bring you down, didn't correct you to make you feel bad. They wanted to help you get better. When you're a teacher, you correct to help people get better. You've been on a really flat, straight highway, super flat, super straight. You're driving down the road. Have you ever played the game, how long can I keep my hands off the wheel? Like, you got your hands on the wheel, 10 and 2, and you just kind of, and see how long that car will keep going straight. Eventually, no matter how straight that car is, no matter how great the alignment is, your car will start to drift, and what does a good driver do? Correct. Every car needs correction. Why do you correct the car's direction? You want to keep it on the right path, the right direction. Here's the deal, whether you're talking about teachers, correcting you, helping you get better, uh, car drivers correcting the direction, keep them on the right path. Life is about correction. The Bible even says that wise people embrace correction. Foolish people do not admit they're wrong. And so here, going back to 2,000 years ago, the apostles had Jesus Christ right beside them. Jesus Christ was teaching them and guiding them and sometimes correcting them. Correcting what they believed, what they were learning, how they're behaving, he corrected them. And then the night before Jesus died, Jesus made a shocking statement. John chapter 16, verse 7. John 16, verse 7. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's going to be so good for you that I leave you right now from beside you. For if I do not go away, the helper... That's the Holy Spirit. He's helping us from inside of us, those who have Christ as Savior. The helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. So what was Jesus saying? The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Quick reset on our series on the Holy Spirit. This is week four. In week one, we talked about the example of when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, it's like the Holy Spirit has moved into your body. Your body is the home. He brought Jesus Christ into your body. You are God's home. You're God's portable worship center. You're a mobile home for God. He lives inside of you. And from inside you, he teaches you. The Holy Spirit teaches you just like Jesus taught his apostles. And he guides you. Turn right, turn left, head forward. Those three weeks were very important. I encourage you to pick them up online. But this week is correction. My question for you is this. Uh, Jesus, number four is this, number four this week. The Holy Spirit inside you 
is like Jesus himself correcting you. And so here's what I want you to do. Just do an experiment. Would you just call out to God right now and ask him and listen. Say, God, are you trying to correct me right now? Is there any area in my life that I need correction? Sometimes this is called, by the way, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This prompting of correction. It could be about teaching, maybe. Just ask God again. Hey, is there any sort of teaching that is found in Scripture that I'm resisting? I don't want to believe it. I, don't, I wouldn't like to believe it. I'd like to believe something different than Scripture. Are you trying to correct me about teaching? Or guidance. God, have you told me to do something and I'm not doing it? Have you told me to hold back on something I'm actually moving forward on? Are you trying to correct me? Or is there any sin? Is there any sin that I'm committing right now, not turning back to you, not confessing? Guys, the Holy Spirit inside you is like having Jesus Christ personally correct you. Not to make you feel bad, not to, not to run you down, but to help you get better like a great teacher, but to help guide you on the right path, like driver leading a car. Let's uh, talk today about the Holy Spirit of God's correction. Lord, we do pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, in each of our locations, in every single heart, I pray that every person right now would surrender control of their heart and life to you, I pray every single person would be willing to hear anything that your Holy Spirit lovingly and divinely wants to say to us. God, I pray you'd supernaturally take away any unwillingness, any fear, any hesitancy to shut you down, to block you out. And God, show us how the Holy Spirit inside us absolutely will correct us because you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 this week. We're actually in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 25 in just a moment. Uh, we're going to go through this. Ephesians is a book, by the way, written from the Apostle Paul to a local church. And he's listing a whole series of things, of sins, that the Holy Spirit of God would want to correct in the Christians in that church. And we're going to actually highlight three words in eight verses. Eight verses and three words. The three words are sin, grieve, and put away. I guess that's a phrase. Sin, sin separates you and God. Separates you and others. Grieve the state of sorrow of the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're living in sin. Put away. The solution to God's correction. Let's look at the first word here. The first word, sin. What is sin, by the way? Sin is any word, attitude, action that goes directly against God's desire. A word might be a word you're saying, an action you're taking, an attitude you have. It might even be a thought you let live in your mind. Jesus Christ died for those. That's what Easter next week is about. 2,000 years ago, God took every sinful word you've ever said, the world's ever said, every sinful attitude, action, impulse, thought, laid all those sins on Jesus Christ on the cross, poured out his judgment and wrath on sins 
so you and I could be set free from sin by the sacrifice of Christ. And so let's talk about that. We'll start in Ephesians 4. Uh, Paul will pick up in verse 25 when he's talking about what we say. Our words, verse 25, says this. It says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, here's a question. Are you honoring God with your words? Are you a person who's avoiding lying? I'm talking about you're not even going to mislead people. You're going to be open and honest. You're not deceiving people. Right now, there are certain people right now, you are thinking about lies you are telling right now. Guys, that is the Holy Spirit of God bringing that up. Instead, what God wants us to do is to speak truth with our neighbor. Why? We are members of one another. The reason we tell the truth is we are connected to people. And when you lie to them, you distance yourself. You create a false sense of unity. Our words. Are you honoring God with your words? In verse 26 and 27, it talks about how we honor God with our anger. 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. A couple things about anger. Anger itself is not a sin. It's not a sin to get angry. In fact, we're commanded, be angry. And some people are excited about that commandment. Be angry. But he says, don't sin. So anger can be sinful in the way you handle it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Make sure you are addressing your anger, your wrath, before sundown, before the next day. And he talks about sin right there. What is the impact on sin for the two classes of people in this world, two types of people in this world? Well, there's one type who has not yet received Jesus Christ as Savior. And if that's you, you've not yet received Christ as Savior, Jesus paid for your sins, but you've not accepted his gift yet of salvation, of forgiveness. And so you're still accountable for paying for every one of your sins. That's why Jesus died, so you wouldn't have to when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the miracle of Easter, paying for your sins, dying and rising again. What about the other type of person in this world? Somebody who already has given their life to Jesus Christ. What does sin do to a Christian? Well, there's a great resource with one of my, uh, by Charles Stanley. It's a book by Charles Stanley that one of our Grace Group members, it's called Wisdom from Above, Daily Encouragements from the Proverbs. One of our Grace Group uh, members every day uses this one-page devotional, prays over it, reads the proverb, reads the scripture reading, and sends our Grace Group this highlighted section. So I read it um, this week, and I thought, this is perfectly describing what sin is. So let me tell you what sin, or let Charles Stanley tell you what sin does not do to a Christian. It doesn't separate you from God. He writes, this is Charles Stanley, once you trust the Lord Jesus for salvation, so you placed your faith in him, you've given your life, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, nothing, nothing can eternally divide you from God ever again. Don't ever worry about that. There isn't anything in all creation that he can separate you, that can separate you from his love. 
There's a great passage right down Romans 8, 38 to 39, which says there's nothing in the universe that will ever separate you from God's love. So when you sin and you've received Christ as Savior, those sins were forgiven, past, present, future. God's love is not removed. You've not lost your salvation. So Tim, what does sin do for a Christian? Well, it it impedes your relationship with, with God. However, Charles Stanley goes on, your sins can impede, can hinder your relationship with him. In fact, every time you sin, you're actually declaring that you want to be the Lord of your life rather than God. Guys, that's what sin does. Sin in our relationship with God impedes has a step out of the light, 1 John 1, into the darkness. Sin creates relational distance from God. You feel farther from God because you are relationally farther from God. Sin also gives extra access and influence to our spiritual enemy over us. In fact, let's put the verse back on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26-27. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. In Greek, the word place is topos. We get the word topography from. Don't give topography, foothold, area, territory to the devil. Realize, when you are living in sin and not confessing it, not turning from it, there's, you're just granted in that area of your life extra influence. It's why that in your life maybe there's extra confusion, extra dark spirit, you have extra anxiety, extra worry, extra lack of peace. That may well be coming because you have a sin you've not confessed, not turned from, not believing the promises, you've granted extra access and influence to our spiritual enemy. God doesn't want that for you. How does God respond when his children are sinning? Well, he corrects them. Uh, We'll put a chart up on the screen, by the way. Here's five ways that God corrects his child. As we go through these five ways, just ask yourself, have I sensed that in my life? Because Hebrews chapter 12 says, if you're a child of God, you'll sense one or more of these corrective actions of your heavenly Father in your life. If you never experience these things, Hebrews 12 says, maybe evidence, you never received Christ in the first place. You're not yet God's child. What does correction look like in your life? Might be a prompting. Some people call it conviction. It's just negative thought. The Holy Spirit just says, no. Or don't do that. Or go ahead, do this. A conviction, a thought, a prompting. That's God's desired way to bring you back to him. But this kind of escalating scale. He's willing to go to the next level. Lack of joy or peace. Sometimes people don't have joy as a Christian, don't have peace as a Christian. They have sin they've not confessed and turned from or believe in the promises because they rejected the prompting. Now their joy is gone. Now their peace is gone. God will escalate it from there. Unanswered prayers. There are times people are praying, praying, praying for something. God's not going to answer their prayer, Psalm 66 says. Why? He says, you need to obey me first, and then I'll answer you. It's the reason... That I've asked, if I've asked my five-year-old Malin to do something, and she ignores me and asks me to get her some food, I say, whoa, 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 I will get you food. Why don't you pick up this thing first? Unanswered prayer 
because of disobedience in our life. Natural consequences. God keeps sliding it further. I'll never forget, um, this is like things breaking, back going out, appliances going out, something bad going wrong, just natural consequences. I was in college and my back went out. Brand new Christian. And backs go out. That's not spiritual. But as I sat there like a cockroach, on my back, I just felt the impression that my new Christian life combined with my old non-Christian lifestyle was not helping. And God was letting natural consequences take, take, uh, take place. And ultimately, God wants to avoid the last one, product recall. That's when God just calls you home. You've committed the sin unto death. That's one sin too many. My child, let me just recall you, bring you home. You'll be here in God's family. Have you ever sensed any of these things? Of course, you're not sensing this in your life, but any of these other four things in your life? God corrects his children because he doesn't want the distance. Sin. Sin, grieve. The second word is grieve. It's hard for us to imagine how God grieves from inside of us. He's moved inside of us and we're living in sin and we're not turning our life over and we're turning over part of our life, how the Holy Spirit grieves. Have you ever been around somebody and you were close to them physically, but you felt like you were a thousand miles away relationally? Maybe you're in the car together and you could, the silence was heavy, you cut the tension with a knife. Maybe in the same room together and you feel a thousand miles apart. I remember laying in bed with my back to my wife, my wife's back to mine, uh, next to each other, felt like forever between us. 99% of the time, it's my fault, by the way. That's no joke. It is a sick feeling to want to be close to somebody. It is a sick feeling and feel the distance. That's how the Holy Spirit of God feels inside of us. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Paul continues this story. Ephesians 4, verse 28 says this. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. He compares stealing versus working hard, which honors God, giving, which honors God. You worship when you work hard and live for Jesus Christ. You worship when you give to God and give to people in need versus steal. You're stealing time, stealing property, stealing money. He moves on in verse 20 and verse 29, talking about our words again. Are you tearing people down or building them up? Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You hear Paul talks about Christians, make sure no corrupt word proceeds out of our mouth. The result of our words, are your words results good and giving grace, undeserved love and acceptance to people? Are they edifying, building people up, honoring God with our words? And then we see the word grieve in verse 30. In verse 30 says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
A couple things about this verse. Here this verse again affirms that when you receive Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit, not until you lose him, not until you sin too bad, but you have the Holy Spirit sealed for the day of redemption when God redeems your body, brings you home, unites you one with him. It's a promise. You don't lose the Holy Spirit, but you don't lose him. You're living with him. You can grieve him. So there's actually three different ways we can kind of oppose the Holy Spirit of God. We'll put a chart on the, on the screen here. And these are kind of progressive kinds of things. These are phrases, just think in your mind, have you ever resisted the Spirit? The answer is yes. If you're, no matter who you are, we all have resisted the Spirit. Grieved the Spirit or quenched the Spirit? What is resisting the Spirit? Well, when the, when the Holy Spirit of God prompts you to do something or not do something, gives you a teaching about something that's difficult to believe, and you reject the teaching, or you reject the direction, you're like those dogs on leashes, you see the owner taking for a walk, they're not walking with him, the dog is pulling at that leash, almost choking themselves, resisting the Spirit's guidance. If we resist the Spirit long enough, the Spirit grieves. The Spirit has sorrow inside of us. He grieves over the distance and the closeness that he desires with us. That word grieve, by the way, from Ephesians 4, is the same word used about Jesus, which only used one time about Jesus. Jesus grieved in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's battling sin. The way Jesus felt about sin the night before he died the grieving over the suffering he's about to do is the same way the Holy Spirit of God grieves about sin. This needless rejection of God that took Jesus to the cross. Grieving the Holy Spirit. And then quenching the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit is like, Jesus used about a candle with a light. When, it's, when a, light is, a candle's lit, there's light and warmth. That's connection with God. When a candle is quenched, it's lukewarm and dark. Are you grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Resisting? Quenching? Sin? Grieve? Put away. Put away sin. So what does that mean? Go to Ephesians 4, verse 31 now. Ephesians 4, 31. It says this. Put it on the screen. Let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. By the way, putting away sin is an intentional thing. It does, you, don't have, you can't be passive putting away sin. It's intentional. Like you're putting away these kinds of things, all these bad attitudes and dishonoring words, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. Verse 32, what's the opposite of that? And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. One of the wild things about how we are forgiven is we are forgiven because God accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice. We didn't have to feel bad enough. We had to fix things first. We didn't have to improve ourselves, bring ourselves an improved product. Okay, here I am. I'm turning over a new leaf. We bring our mess to God, and God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, and he forgives us. 
He tells us to forgive others, not because they deserve it, not because they fix things. When they bring their mess to us, we set them free from that. There's two responses we can have to our sins. Proverbs 28, verse 13 gives the two responses. You can cover your sin or confess and forsake. Covering's natural. I don't want people to know about that. I don't want to admit it. Sometimes we pretend that you know, we commit some, some sort of sin and we kind of ignore it. I'm not going to mention it. not going to confess it. Just kind of move on and hope it doesn't affect anybody. Or hide it from people. I'm intentionally going to hide it from people. Or what's the opposite? Confessing it to God. God, I am so sorry. I, I did lie. I did mislead. That is wrong confession. Forsake I reject that. I do not want to do that. Confess and forsake. Some of the people will ask me, hey, Tim, don't you need to confess this to a person or a priest or whatever? No, you confess directly to Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. To go to God, go to the mediator, Jesus Christ. You confess your sins directly to God. Jesus takes that. You don't need a human, a person, a saint, a priest. You have direct access. And that direct access is about this promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John 1, 9. I love this promise. This promise has set me free. It sets you free. If we confess our sins, if you just get honest with God, if you just tell him, yes, I committed this, or I have not done this, or God forgive me, I'm so sorry. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. Oh, will he forgive me? He will forgive you. He is faithful and just. It's totally fair. It's not fair. It is fair because Jesus made it fair. He paid for your sins on the cross. He's already paid for it. If you pay for it, that's double payment. That's not fair. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to wash us up, cleanse us. He restores spiritual innocency and purity and virginity. He restores that in our life. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Ask again, is the Holy Spirit of God, God, are you trying to correct me? And listen. I want to encourage our our hosts at each of our locations to continue this conversation and continue listening to the Holy Spirit of God. What is God saying to you?